You're listening to the Racking Focus Podcast. Hey, welcome back to the Racking Focus Podcast. I'm Josiah Blizzard. And I'm John Doyle, and today it's Top Gun Maverick. And we're going to sort of break our normal new structure <laughs> uh, and begin with yeah. a uh, very brief, spoiler-free review of Top Gun Maverick, and then we'll dive into our week watching back into the spoiler field. Is that what yeah? No, right? I think that's great. I think I mean we're watching this opening night, so figured if we get this out and people haven't seen it, they should know what we think without having to spoil it spoiled. Uh, I think that's great. So yeah, good, great. Good uh, thoughts? Give me your go. Give me your take. Like keep it quick, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I I, I was pretty impressed with this film, um, uh, and I am uh, I was reticent to be impressed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and I think I'm impressed for a couple reasons, and I'll say them, and then you chat for a little bit, and then we can come back and I'll yeah. elaborate some. Number one, it's it is the best blending of nostalgia and new film that I've seen of these yes. efforts to reach back in time. Nostalgia was going to be my first go-to for this. Right? Yeah, it's um, great. It did the nostalgia thing, but it didn't live in the nostalgia, um, and I think that was, I mean, just extraordinarily well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, implemented, you know, it uh, realized. Yeah, it pays honor to the to the original film in a way that uh, makes you f- makes you like, I don't know, just it makes you nostalgic for that. Mm-hmm. Old, but then it it's just like, okay, we're on to the new thing. Yeah, and it you know? uses music throughout to mm. do that work, right? But yeah. it also uses some really interesting visual techniques to make this film look like it's from the period. Mm. So it, it it in a way it's honoring to me. It's like honoring the the original sort of era of this cinema you know yeah. oh yeah um that's what it that's what it felt like and then uh, in, in within that it was uh, it then stepped forward so like visually it did that work as well as with yes music. yeah visual and the opening itself mm-hmm. visually with the music is a very on point to what top gun was right um uh, i want to say that tom cruise is the like the action star of like my life i think right. my entire yes. life um it's just at least the 2000s mm-hmm. i there are times where i'm sitting in my seat in this theater and i felt my heart race faster than like two minutes before just right. because he's because he's pretending to fly an airplane although knowing tom cruise i don't know if he's actually flying this airplane or not which may actually have caused my heart to race faster still you right. know so he i mean this is an adrenaline filled movie mm-hmm. yeah I, absolutely but it does not sacrifice some really strong very thoughtful emotional beats yeah that that populate the film that get us to a point where we care emotionally i mean i think we care an extraordinary amount about the relatively large ensemble of actors that we're encountering you you are worried for every single person in this film mm-hmm. th- throughout the entire duration of the film right every single person including including maverick yeah right like every single person it's filled with adrenaline it's filled with nostalgia it blends those two things perfectly and i think it hits every beat that it wants to hit it hits either perfectly or very very well yeah i mean i, I agree with you a hundred percent and i would add that um it the the filmmaking is done with care for audience expectation, but it is not pandering or doing audience service. Like mm-hmm. it really isn't fan service here. And I appreciated that so much. There's things that feel reminiscent, but there aren't moments where I feel like, Oh, that was for, that was for the girls who loved him back then. Right, you know? right, right, right. It really doesn't right. do that. It, it's, I will say, so if, if you loved the first Top Gun movie, you were going to love this movie. Yeah, and I think this is better than the first I film. I think it's it's a it's a far better movie than the first film. It, yeah. And, and we'll talk about that right. first film a little bit because I just watched it for the first That's time right. like four or five days ago. And so we, as we jump after the weekly watch into spoilers, I think we can safely say you should go see this, and I think you should see it in the theater. I think you should see it in the theater, and if you want to spring for an IMAX ticket, 
Uh, I think it would right. be well worth seeing this in IMAX. Yeah, I think I might have thrown up in IMAX uh, <laughs> today. I, I don't know, but uh, especially if we'd gotten our normal third, uh, row, third row seat, seat. Yeah, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. a movie to sit a little bit back in the IMAX and get the sense of it. But it, I mean, I think you're, it is, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's, that's, that's the way Go to see it. Go see it in the theater. That's it. There's no way a TV screen is going to be able to capture the uh, the energy of the film and the extraordinary visuals. Like it, the visuals it looks it looks amazing. Claudia Miranda's cinematography is is stunning, and the sound is off the charts. The sound is off the charts, yeah. and the use of sound is really interesting. Um, but the other thing I'd say too is that you know when you're thinking about the the cinematography being great, there there's also challenges to the cinematography that make that make you have to really yeah respect the work because yeah. there's a lot of things here that were that are not easy to shoot no no i i don't it sounds like a nightmare to shoot it sounds like a film. nightmare to shoot so. we said that about everything always all at once yeah 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 <laughs> this feels like <laughs> this feels like just as bad, just as bad. in a very different way right, so yeah. anyway go see it in theaters i would say we should just leave it at that for our spoiler free review and yeah uh, let's just say acting great Directly oh, yeah. great. Like we're, we don't want to say we're skipping any beat here. We just want to talk about it in the back half of the show. So go yeah, see it. So go see it, then come back, listen to our spoiler filled, which is coming up in uh, a little bit. And uh, yeah, yeah, go see go. it. Okay, cool. Uh, move on to the weekly watch. Yeah, do you want to? Do you want me to start? You want to start? I want you to start. Okay. okay. Yeah. I will start. I will start. Well, uh, other than watching uh, some other Tom Cruise films after watching uh, uh, Top Gun for the first time earlier this week, we dove into Jack Reacher, which was fun. Uh, and then we watched the um, fifth and sixth installments of the Mission Impossible. We've seen Ghost Protocol like 100,000 right, times. Right. So we've watched Rogue Nation and Fallout. Both amazing. Both I wish I could go back and see in cinema. Um, but other than those, other than the Tom Cruise binge that I've been on this week, uh, I watched over the course of three weeks, uh, the Before Trilogy, Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, Before Midnight. Um, talk about Ethan Hawke just being freaking incredible um and so is julie delpy who's have you seen have you seen this mm -hmm. trilogy oh my gosh i mean the for walking heads or talking walking and talking heads is essentially right. this this entire trilogy is just two people talking in a room together um, or in a car or on a street it is the most engaging dialogue <laughs> oh man what did you think of these films it's been probably a while since it's you've been seen a long them. time so yeah. i'm gonna reserve the comment except to say they're really great yeah great okay i wasn't sure how you felt about them can or not I, so can i just say like they're really great ethan hawk is extraordinary but they're also vague so i'm not gonna no my foot in my mouth no sure 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 no no no, no it's <laughs> fine um yeah i just was i i loved seeing I loved I, I you know I purposely spread these out because I know that they're very bingeable like mm -hmm. they're very much like the I mean the second movie takes place in real time in over the course of 80 minutes like right. I'm like oh I have 80 minutes any night of the week I have 80 minutes to yeah. watch this thing and uh I love the fact that it is in real time so you you feel like you're there with them in that in that uh in that film but I loved I you know spacing this out I was able to separate myself a bit from and, and reflect on this which I know is something that you end up doing a lot mm -hmm. um, but specifically you know these films each took place nine years apart right I didn't want to I didn't want to rush right into the right. next one the binge I, doesn't make sense because right the, because it's spread out right. because our characters have been spread out right um, and so I, I purposefully I purposefully did that and I think it paid off because I, I did have this moment where I was like oh, I really want to watch the next one just didn't want it to be over um, I loved seeing the maturity for our characters increase like the just the conversations alone between each each film like just the, the, their maturity level increases and like what they're talking about uh, changes like they're not as young and naive anymore mm -hmm. and like these things change throughout the, the the movies and I mean man that third movie just I like I'm like this hit me. This almost wrecked me just as bad, or if not more, than Marriage Story did. Yeah. Like it, it is a that. I mean, I I knew from the moment I saw Celine, I was like, ah, this film's gonna break me. It's just gonna break me, and it's gonna either leave me with no hope or just a little <laughs> sliver of hope. And uh, yeah, it, it, the films are incredible. So I highly recommend checking those out. The, for some reason, Hulu only has Before Midnight available they don't have the first right. two in the trilogy so i bought the first two and then i watched the third one today so and there are movies that rotate in and out of hbo and whatever like yeah, we have enough criteria i think criterion had them at one point yeah, and 
yeah, so they just rotate their way. Yeah. They may be on there now, actually. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I, you know, I can check that out. Amazing. I mean, I mean one of the greatest trilogies, I think, that I've, I've had the pleasure to watch. So that's what I've been watching. What about you? So I'm going to start talking about something that Lisa and I just watched this week. It's an HBO documentary, a two-part documentary about George Carlin called George Carlin's Oh, American yeah, I Dream. saw that pop up, yeah. Um, uh, it was, I mean, I, I want to start, it, uh, I want to just say that, like, Carlin's a really important sort of figure in pop culture, right? Mm-hmm. But the film does an extraordinary, the, the two parts of the film, and they're extraordinarily thoughtfully split. So, like, part one very clearly has a an ending and a clear arc, and the second part has another arc, and then as there's an overall arc to the whole piece. The uh, in, in many ways, uh, like Roadrunner, the um, uh, the film about now his name is going <laughs> to keeps going away. Um, uh, uh, Anthony Bourdain, the film oh, about Anthony oh, Bourdain, oh, Roadrunner yeah. that that uses Anthony Bourdain as for all practical purposes the narrator of the film, even yeah, though yeah, he's yeah. dead. Uh, this film uses recorded footage. Uh, and an audio from Carlin to essentially narrate the story. Oh, gotcha. So it's one of those hmm. jobs, uh, like Summer of Soul, where there's an extraordinary the gift, the level of giftedness in the editing is really yeah, present. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But w- w- there's a couple things about it that are important, and one is watching Carlin's evolution, giving us a real sense of the evolution of television and the evolution of American culture. Right. Because he started in a very different place than we today think of him but the other thing it does is it anchors the whole story in his first marriage um which mm. is a long marriage so it isn't like a it, it, it i won't spoil anything about that actually to say anything about that if you don't know tra- tracking that story is really amazing but it, it focuses in this first marriage and it anchors everything in real human emotion mm. and on uh, the roadrunner story becomes sort of an homage and this like nostalgic pained remembrance of an important person who died, right? This instead constantly references relationship, relationship, relationship. And as a result, there's there's a story of him developing as a comedian and the important things that he speaks to. And then there's this other story about people who love through hard times that is, is quite beautiful and so well presented. So I can't recommend it highly enough. You said it was two parts? It's two parts. And the first part really stretches until about like 1990. Okay. So it's from him in the early 60s doing work to like 1990. And the second part is uh, 1990 until he passed. And uh, the, uh, there's some really interesting comedians uh, who speak to him and about him during the piece, but none of them get so much time that it becomes their vision. Right. And there are people who call him out on things about his comedy that they're bothered by and so it isn't just an homage or some kind of like building a an ivory tower around him it does challenge what he does as well as present some incredible bits that mm. are so relevant today and that's as a as an audience member that's what makes it disturbing in a way yeah, yeah because yeah. the issues that he's complaining about in the 90s and the 2000s are issues that literally are hot button issues. Like he's talking about gun control, right? And we have shootings this past Week, weeks, right? right? right. Um, he's talking about uh, abortion and how abortion's treated, and he's calling out things that people today think they're clever tweeting, right? Right? right and he's right. already had right. the he conversation. He did in the nineties, yeah. And so, so I, it's really well worth watching, huh. both as a piece of filmmaking but also as a sort of in the arc of American culture and this powerful. Yeah. So. Wow. Cool. All right. really and you said saying. two parts, HBO max. Mm-hmm. HBO. How max. long is each, each part? I don't know. Um, I, I really don't know. Hmm. Um, right. uh, my experience of those parts was they were long enough. How okay. about that? Yeah, sure. I, I, I'm going to guess they're like running a little over an hour, but I don't have any okay. idea because yeah, that's what I, was I didn't guess. pay any attention to it, which yeah. I, I found really interesting as I watched yeah. it, that I wasn't, looking for the end but if it had been 
a full like whatever two hour and 15 or yeah, three hour it oh, would have yeah. been too much yeah yeah, yeah. um uh, huh. so really wisely cleverly edited so there you go that that's my weekly watch i Great. i also watch tampopo which uh i can talk about <laughs> if you want me to uh whatever do you have go. another thing do you have another one uh well, you, you sort of did too, I, right? I well i you know i mentioned you i mentioned massive top gun experience I well well yeah we ha- so I I did watch Top Gun but um I didn't mention I didn't really mention I just mentioned briefly my like Tom Cruise binge here uh watched I mean I can give you another one if uh yeah if just you do, want, let's if do you another, another minute one. or two we um, give people time great, to listen great. to us and you know, then go watch Top Gun I watched um Maverick. I so my wife's been bugging me to uh <laughs> restart the M- MCU uh binge again or the marathon. Really? I'm like, it's so daunting. It's so daunting. I'm like, do we do we include the TV shows now? Do we not? <laughs> like, how you know when do we need this to be finished by? I'm like, oh my gosh. So we we watched the first Iron Man the other day. We've started from the top. Uh, great movie. Still great. Yeah. You know, it's it's still great. There's a lot of heavy rock and roll. It just feels like a guitar cue, one after the <laughs> other. Like every five minutes, it just feels like they're just cueing the guitar to to come in and play a riff. Uh, great movie. And then we watched Iron Man two, and I fell asleep. Okay. Um, movie that movie doesn't doesn't really hold up. Um, I feel bad because I feel like it was like, I'm like I kind of blame John Favreau, but at the time I'm also like, I feel like Marvel really rushed him to get this out. It I, feels like all they want to do is jump to Avengers, and he's like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> like I can't, we can't get there yet. We've made one movie, guys, and the <laughs> other characters haven't been introduced yet. We can't get there. Um, and uh, also Elon Musk is in that movie for like. A total of thirty seconds, and it's really freaking weird. Yeah. I so yeah. anyway, that's what I've been watching. Here now, you can go and talk no, about, Tim, talk about Popo. Tim Popo real quick. <laughs> so I watched Tim Popo, um, and uh, it's this uh, the other uh, Yuzo uh, Itami film um, that Criterion has like a selection of these. I'm going to probably end up watching them all. But Tim Popo is a film. It's a 1980s film, and I got to tell you, it looks so. 19, I'm pretty sure it's 1980s. It looks so 1980s. Going. It, yeah, it's 1985, so does it it's look, a year before Tom Gun, uh, Top Gun. I was going to say, does it look more or less 80s than Top Gun? It looks very similar, to be completely honest, except okay. the film quality is not quite as good as the okay. Top Gun film quality. Because <laughs> Top um, Gun is perhaps the most 80s looking you know, film No, this of is a very 80s film. And I would say a couple, I want to say a couple things about it. Like, it's a great movie, and it's tons of fun, and it is weird and wonderful, and in some ways feels, again, like an ancestor of everything, everywhere, all at once. Mm. It is a variety of genres jammed together with some very sort of thoughtful work in the middle, uh, of it, um, it's about um, a ramen shop, but being made <laughs> successful. Like it's, it's a Tampopo is the name of the person who's the who the, wants to make a ramen shop, and two truck drivers, one of whom is Ken Watanabe. Really? Um, who I, to be honest, I did not recognize <laughs> at all until I saw like in the very credits. Early in his career, it must be very well. I mean, the, his part's not that big. Oh, his yeah. character name is Gun. The other guy is Goro, and they go and they commit. They're truck drivers who commit to helping this woman make the best possible ramen shop. And people eat ramen and other foods like ramen. There's a tremendous joke about like ramen versus spaghetti in the middle of it. (laughs) There is a wildly erotic food eating sequence. Is this a comedy? It's a comedy for sure. It is full of adventure and fun. It is not, it's not a jokey comedy, right? It's a, sure. It's a character comedy. Right. Um, and there's some really funny bits, some really great moments. There's a huge cast full of very interesting figures. Mm. And it it moves between like food porn and uh, <laughs> Indiana Jones. Like uh, it's just all over the place. Wow. As a as a piece of cinema. Like as I say, there's like this this erotic food sequence. There they and I think I said this to you the other day, they do something with an egg yolk. For oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. long, it's almost unwatchable. Um, <laughs> and but it's a tons of fun film, and uh, one of those films that you would easily skip because often the eighties, fe- like an eighties Japanese film about ramen, feels like completely <laughs> skippable. And in fact, I, it's it's not. So uh, like it, huh. it's a film I probably would love to see in like a, a theater late at night you know yeah, yeah, uh, on, yeah. A, on a friday and they serve ramen and they serve ramen yeah. uh at it and now i know how to eat ramen properly yeah uh but it's quite wonderful how do you eat how do you eat ramen properly uh, uh, what, is, you, what is the trick it's going to take far too long in fact the <laughs> opening sequence of the film is ken watanabe although i didn't know it was him reading a book and we're in the book so 
we start inside the story he's reading. Okay. And then we realize it's a guy reading a book in a truck in a rainstorm. Like visually we're visually we're one place. Well, visually we start in a movie theater with a <laughs> sounds so literally complex. at the beginning of the film, they've served food at the front of the movie theater. God, I can't believe we're taking this much time with this. Um and the guy who's sitting down to uh watch the movie behind the food makes a statement about what he hates in movie theaters after he notices us watching him and he walks to the screen and says oh you're watching a movie too that's how it starts and from there then from there you're in a book and then you're in a truck and the and the book describes the the way you're supposed to eat ramen so it opens with this incredibly detailed description of how to do it that's definitely not how i expected it to open it is wild so wild and i mean there's gangster moments in it it's incredible um and uh so i recommend it for everyone to go watch it's on criterion now but it's a movie that travels the streaming services as a foreign film because it's a popular foreign film from the 80s was it like a cult classic foreign film sort of thing i think in in a way it it was a a big award-winning film when it came hmm. out. I think now it's a it, it would might fall into the cult classic category. It certainly play it, in a lot of ways. I kept saying to Lise, I feel like I'm watching a Monty Python film. Okay, um, yeah, yeah, in yeah. Japanese. Oh, really? That like oh, the, huh. that, that sort of violation of any of the rules. Okay. of cinema in order to tell the story they want to tell. Because I was going to ask, did it feel like an A24 indie film if it was made in the '80s? No, but, it feels but like when Monty, you say Python. Monty Python. It's completely yeah. different, and it, and it does feel to some extent like an ancestor of everything, everywhere, okay. all at once. That sort of fractured, vibrated storytelling. Yeah, except nowhere near at that pace. Because those Monty Python films are like we actually don't even have a studio. We actually don't even have a budget. Right. We're just like, we called our friends yeah. to come out. So I wasn't well, there, sure. Th- sometimes this feels... Does it feel like that? It feels like that. Times? Yeah. But certainly the rhythm pacing yeah. and the attitude towards um, anchored n- narrative in a single genre feels like Monty Python. Hmm. So there you go. All right. All right. And Popo. Great. Right. Cool. All right. Well, let's get into our conversation about Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, we've given people long enough to listen to us and then <laughs> yeah. pause. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. off we go. Everyone here is the best there is. Who the hell are they going to get to teach us? Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell. Let me be perfectly blunt. You are not my first choice. You are here at the request of Admiral Kazansky, AKA Iceman. He seems to think that you have something left to offer the Navy. What that is, I can't imagine. With all due respect, sir, I'm not a teacher. Just want to manage expectations. What the hell? Good morning, aviators. This is your captain speaking. And we're off. Here we go. In three, two, one. Well, great. Uh, spoilers ahead for Top Gun Maverick. You've been warned. Uh, hmm. <laughs> this was great. This was really great. This was great. so fun. This is why you go to the theater. And, and not to see superheroes or monsters. Right. Yeah. To see Tom Cruise run. To see Tom Cruise run and fly a plane. And fly a plane, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. That's it. Yeah, we're Good done. <laughs> See you later. Thanks so much for no, listening. No, I, I mean, look, this was this was this was as enjoyable as it gets. I think. Um, I mean, there's been, I I I'm sad, actually, that the theater wasn't filled more. Yeah, we I agree. did not have many people in this theater, which makes me really sad because I I think there should have been more people in the theater. Um, I don't think that the marketing for this film has been terribly great. Um. It hasn't been pushed that much. The mo- I mean, the movie, the the original film is like forty, almost forty years old. Yeah, almost forty years it's, old. It's it's an yeah. old movie. It's eighty six. Eighty six. Yes, yeah, so the yeah. year after Tampopo. <laughs> <laughs> it's. I mean, it's it's an old film, and I don't necessarily think like Top Gun is like one of those movies that everybody's like, we need a Top Gun sequel in twenty twenty two. You know what I mean? Um, but I'm glad they did it. Because this movie is better than the first Top Gun, it's certainly less uh, homoerotic. That's for sure. for sure. I watched the first Top Gun this week, and I couldn't believe one how sweaty everybody was <laughs> that entire film. I've been to California. It's, I mean, it's warm, 
but it's not like I'm sweating through everything warm all the time. <laughs> Maybe it is in San Diego. I don't really know. I haven't been to San Diego. Uh, and two, I'm thankful. I mean, this film, it didn't seem like at any point they would all just start kissing each other because that did feel like that in the first film too. It, I don't know, maybe the 80s just, everybody was just really horny all the time. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the vibe of that film is certainly about it, it is, it sweaty is, bodies in motion. Yes, it's yeah. about hot people in the Air Force <laughs> or in the Navy, I guess. Sorry, it's in the Navy. Uh, this film was very, very different. Um, and I'm glad they took it in a different direction while also paying kind of homage and... Uh, just respects to that. I mean, it was dedicated to Tony Scott at the mm-hmm. end, right? Who was the director of the of the first Top Gun? Uh, and it starts with, I mean, almost like it felt at first. I was like, this feels like shot for shot of the like intro credits yeah. to the first Top Gun, color grade and everything. That's like, re- everything was yeah. like lens choice. I'm like, man, they are really just. This is this is Top Gun. The music. Mm-hmm. Man, it was great, and th- and that was the nostalgia that we were talking about. Right. Like at the very beginning, it's just like here's the nostalgia meter. We're dialing it up to eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, you're gonna feel like if if you don't feel like you're in a Top Gun movie within the first ten seconds, then you haven't seen the you haven't seen the first Top Gun right. movie. You don't know what we're referencing. Right. So yeah, it was great. And and I would add to that that the when you see those opening sequences, it is also setting you in a world, right? So. Mm-hmm. Those choices are all choices about validating sure. the 1980s visual style yeah, yeah, that yeah. they're going to use, not rely on, because they certainly go much farther, but that they're going to use in the film. And so yeah. they're establishing a look and a feel that is about nostalgia, but it's also about the style of this film, like what this is going to look like. Right, well, and it's it's both world building and um, it's how our characters view this world they're in as well, right? Like it's this romanticized version of this aircraft carrier, like right. these machines are sexy almost, right? Like that's how these pilots feel about this job. Like this is this is their life. Like Maverick's life has been planes, 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 and that's it. Mm-hmm. Like when he's off duty, he's working on his own plane. Right. Like it's just planes for him, and and women. Uh, but I I don't know. I think they might. He might. I don't know what he does when no one's around with his plane. But if you've seen Titan, then <laughs> okay. you might have an idea. All right, all right. Oh God, don't watch that movie. That's scarring. <laughs> anyway, it's um, yeah. It's just like it. There's 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 this thing they do in the beginning, and it's just it's. It's nostalgic and it builds it builds like on to what they're gonna do for the rest of the film. Like it just adds on. We also get all sorts of clues about things we need to know for the last set piece. How planes are gonna land, just a reminder of what they need to land yes, and right, all right, of right. that stuff. Right. The thing that they added cleverly. into that intro was the hook. Yep. And um there a lot of cable thing. shots. There's cables and hooks and like launching, like how they yep. how they leave. And like that was, if I if I remember correctly, those that catching was not in the original film and, in nineteen eighty six. And even if so, reminding you about it means we don't have to talk about it right. in some freaking exposition. It's visual the, storytelling. All they have to say is, "Look, our landing gear's out. Get the net up." Right, and we know exactly what's yeah. missing. And in fact, I mean to jump to that moment in the end when his landing gear goes. Your your head remembers from the beginning yep. of the film. You're saying how is he gonna that, land this? Right? How is the hell is he gonna land this plane Boy, on we, an aircraft carrier? For all the landing. rest of the crap that we're watching, yeah, we haven't. There's another beat that's gonna come, and that's great. In it's this great filmmaking. Yeah, yeah, it's it's great. Um, I want to jump and ask you, um, how did you feel about Miles Teller as um Rooster? So well, I mean, aside from the extraordinary resemblance. They did look just like for him. Him. really incredible, yeah. and he obviously studied. Yeah, that the I mean, he obviously studied his on-screen father's, you know, yeah, movement style. There's some moments that are ex- like they make you double take. Oh my goodness! Um, yeah, really incredible, and yet he's his own person, like, right? It, it, clearly, his own person, right? He 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 lacks the goofiness of his dad right. because of like the trauma that he's been through because he's missing his dad and clearly he's lived a rough life. He's, he's missing his mom, you know, hasn't had family around because Maverick pulled his, you know, file from the, the, right. the, the Navy. Mm-hmm. Like he's been, he's been hurt time and time and time again. Um, but man, did he look and, and just like, just like goose. So I thought, I mean, I think 
his casting was spot on. And the, the, the moment at the end when you're like, you realize that Maverick is flying with both Goose but also Rooster in the mm-hmm. end. Um, and the feeling you get when you're like, oh, he's going to pop his mm-hmm. the canopy. And you're like, you don't, you don't want him to because right. you're, you're afraid based on what happened last time. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of moments like that, and and it's imp- what makes th- that means that we're experiencing Maverick's fear or Maverick's right. concern, and that's really ex- that's good filmmaking yeah. again. The, uh, um, the this is one of the best. So this is without question one of the best sequels to a film ever made. Yes, it it does not tread the same territory, mm-hmm. which is often what sequels end up doing, right? Yeah, and it it has an amazing redemption arc that is a redemption for multiple characters. Yeah. And, and yet in the first film, there is a measure of redemption at the end of that film. And it says that's not enough redemption. Let's take the story and and go the whole distance. Yes. And I think that just, there's a reason why you wait almost 40 40 years years to do it. Right. 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 Because you need to do it with an adult Mm -hmm. goose's son. Right. Right. You have, you almost have to wait. So, yeah, it does. It does something fresh. The film does something fresh, even though it still is is. If you were to look at the story structure right. of both films, they're almost identical. Yeah, like to a T, mm-hmm. identical. I mean, you instead of a, a shirtless volleyball game, you get a shirtless football game. Right. There, I like this. The story structure is like almost the same mm-hmm. through and through, um, but the teamwork bit at the end was not what I was expecting. Right. And so sneaking onto this base, stealing this plane, um not what I expected at all in this film. And That's there was right. I ex- fully expected Maverick to bite it. I thought he was gonna go out in a blaze of glory. Uh, and right. that was it. They teased that so hard. They do. They wanted you to feel that. And we're in this like dead reckoning coming too so maybe it's like i know uh, yeah you're right the, right the, the next mission impossible Cru- ethan hunt is like Cru- cruise dies in all, all these <laughs> films so he can he's trying to shut down retire. his franchises uh, and and it, it also comes on the heels of james bond's explosion right so like there is this sensibility that right. the end of a franchise now can mean the death of a character right. played by an actor and so there was some real stakes there there certainly were and well because i'm like we're not gonna get a top gun three that would be that would be insane. There's and there there won't be. Right? There won't be. Tom Cruise won't. He he's not getting green like that. Right. It like, feels like he needed that. He wanted to tell this story. Yeah. And now it's told. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess they could dump a truck of money, but he has a lot of money. Well, he doesn't. Uh, well, Cruise isn't. Cruise isn't. He, you can't buy him. Right. I feel like he's he's gonna make the movies he wants to make, and he he. I mean, I love that he popped on screen at the beginning of the film and just kind of addressed yeah. the. I like. I mean, I. I don't know. I like when filmmakers do that because mm-hmm. it shows that. I don't know. He was. He's dedicated to the movie going experience and not the, the money making aspect of it. In a sense, you know. I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. Um. The. I want to at least address what was my elephant in the room. Um, oh yeah. So, uh, in the opening credits, it's uh, story by. I think it's story by, not screenplay by. Okay. And Chris McQuarrie's name is in there. I think. Oh, was he? Yeah, Chris McQuarrie's. I saw. End. I thought his. I saw Chris McQuarrie was in the. Uh, I think produced by. Yeah, he was an and in. Okay. In. Uh, no, I think it was. Okay. Uh, I think it was in story. I may be wrong. It may be. But as soon as I saw that, I was like, "Well, this is interesting." I'm gonna actually look that. Yeah, up. yeah, yeah. Um, and I uh, know he's just listed as producer. So no, and Ryan's writer too. And writer. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, 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 writer. Yeah. So and I'm like wonder why he's working on this he and Cruz get along so well so undoubtedly he like was brought on to massage 100 percent. he was brought on to, to do the mission impossible portion of the film right because the, <laughs> the, like the third act is yeah what you're saying, well, and right? to write the problem right like, right like the McQuarrie here's what talks, you need to do right. how do we make this impossible right yeah because Macquarie is, is, is talked i mean i've heard him be interviewed on empire podcast at six hour monstro whatever Jeez. it was monstrosity interview with him about working with crews on, on films uh and i don't remember which one they were talking about maybe ghost protocol i don't remember which one it was uh brad bird was ghost brad protocol. bird so it's rogue nation it must be rogue nation they were talking about so so it was this incredibly long conversation the thing they talked about was sort of this um, Kurosawa-esque, like, 
hmm. we get together and we sort of make the, we have a outline but we sort of make the film up while we go oh my gosh. because we, we have to find the dangerous thing to do and it feels like macquarie may have had his fingers deep in yeah. what felt like a mission impossible moment when they described the um the the thing they needed to do the mission and then that end sequence you're right yeah that, but you know there was also um this this whole like the mission itself reminded me of one very specific movie which was star wars yeah I'm like this is the no, tre- no. this is the trench run oh yeah without in real question. life yeah you know i mean there i mean there's shots too i'm like i feel like i've seen this and it's when you know rogue squadrons getting in their x-wings and like you have the guys lifting droids into the cockpit and like flashing wands and when firing into that taking, little hole right right oh especially especially that right like we're you gonna have, do, your we're, targeting systems offline right. uh, like, yeah. we're gonna do star wars and, and just do it right we're like, gonna do it do yeah, it. yeah. Uh, you know trust the force trust the force of well right right, Maverick, right. don't think right. just just do just it i'm do like free yoda over here like right no, it, it, there was there was definitely more than one callback to Star Wars with, in this. Re- really, without any. Which question. again goes back to the Hidden Fortress, right? Right. Exactly. So it just all goes back well, to Kurosawa. But is I, what we're I have to say, like the when it was like Star Wars one better in Star Wars, you'd have to get one like ball of energy into yeah. the hole. Here, yeah. you have to get two balls of right, energy yeah. <laughs> into the hole. I mean, incredible. But the other thing is they're really flying planes, right? Like yeah. some, not everything in here is flown, but there are planes flying and they're shooting those planes flying. I, some incredible moves. Again, knowing crews, I don't know what is real, what is fake. I don't know how if I don't know if he learned to fly a plane. I think he did. I think there are shots in this where he is fully flying. He's listed in the end credits as top gun like point zero zero one. Uh, amongst the Top Gun guys, he is. He's listed in that list of air like, uh, pilot names. That's ridiculous. Big pilot, See, um, look, this man works so hard. I don't know how he finds time to make the movie, but then also become uh, certified to be able to fly a a a, a jet. Uh, yeah. Like, how do you find time to do that? Like, that's just unbelievable to me. So, I mean, he's so dedicated to the to the craft. Um, I mean, definitely one of the best action stars to ever live, mm-hmm. fully. So. Um, committing, committing to everything. So, I mean, there's shots where I'm like, this doesn't look fake to me. Like, it's the same way, you know, you watch Mission Impossible Fallout. I'm like, yeah, they uh, they strapped cameras to this helicopter. And, like, there's no cheating this. Like, right. I know for a fact this is not fake mm-hmm. because of how the camera angle is. It's not cinematic. It's just documenting what right. Cruz is doing on a helicopter, Billy. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it, it's it's almost un- it's unbelievable to me. So. I, and, the you know, the film had some interesting beats right there's there's little surprises here and there like there's and and those surprises are those heroic moments right where Cruz steps forward and this film doesn't though even though Cruz is definitively the hero of this film right it doesn't feel like he's being pandered to by the film it doesn't feel like this is like let's blow Tom Cruise up Right, um, like yeah. by making a mission leader, but yeah, by making a mission leader by the the fast run he does, the one that's faster than anyone can do, that is simply the kind of story this is, where people revolve around people doing excellence, like people right. performing in an excellent. Well, world. and he's kind of pigeonholed into doing that, right? Like it's it's either, you know, when your characters have to make uh, two bad choices, mm-hmm. but one choice might mean, like the better outcome. You know, but it could also mean complete and utter disaster for you, you and your career. Th- I mean, that's that's good storytelling because you need to like if your characters have to choose between a bad decision and a good decision. Well, they're always going to choose the good decision. So choosing between if I stay retired right. and never fly again or I steal a plane and prove that I can do this so that I can get command back. Well, and that the pe- that they know they can do it because that's that line Ham has where he says, all you've done is prove it can't be done. Right. And then he proves and it, he can, proves be it done, can be done. Right. Right. And proves it can be done in 15 seconds less than what mm-hmm. he was saying originally. Right. So, yeah, it's it's just that's just good. That's just good storytelling. And so you're right. It's it's not like he's being pandered to. He's the, the story is motivating right. all of those things to yep. happen. Uh, all of them. Every single time. And I mean, down to him needing to, uh, you know, save Rooster and like mm-hmm. everything, everything he does is motivated. Yeah. I mean, the. 
the this the training story is ultimately abbreviated right so like it's a three-week training and it gets sped up but there's also this beat where we go from um we're untrained to we're doing it because the film needs to move forward and that again is just it pushes it yeah it has to because otherwise we're going to just be sitting well, and in it great it raises sequences. the stakes too right, right? It, it, and that's what pushes Maverick to being the guy who mm-hmm. needs to lead instead right. of the guy who needs to teach, right? He's even said it himself. He's like, I'm not a teacher. And so, and, and, and it's not that, um, I think I, I can't remember how it was phrased or what, but I mean, they always said that these, these guys in Top Gun are the best of the mm-hmm. best. These are the best, these are the best pilots. And I mean, Maverick comes in and he's like, yeah, but they're still not, they're still not ready. Right. And it's not that he's saying that they're not good enough. It's just that they're not ready yet because they haven't seen it done it's like when when you think something's impossible of course you're not gonna be able to do it so he he's the guy who'd come in and say this is possible you guys can do this he's just like a motivator right like he's a inspirational speaker and he understands what they need to be able to do to do it right yeah and even though he is carrying this like long undying guilt right right that that the the film really activates um the he that doesn't alter his skill set, right? Right. So it's not a film where he lives in doubt. It's a film where he lives with responsibility and fear. And that's a distinction yeah. for sequels like this, where we undercut the power of the hero in the beginning so that we can have them relive a new arc. Right. So we like take them down five pegs in movie two and we take them down five pegs again in movie three. Right. And I, I don't actually find that as a compelling no. way of telling yeah, yeah, story. Yeah. And here we have him coming in with the same skill set, just carrying this burden. It's and and it's it's the it's obviously it's the burden of Goose and his loss, but it's more so the fear of failing his late partner, right? Like right. his 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 dead wingman, right? Like right. Uh, you know, you don't want, you don't want, he didn't want his son to die mm-hmm. at, at, in the same way and at his, on his hands, right? Like right. if, if Rooster died, then like Tom Cruise is going to blame him. Maverick is going to blame himself, right? Like that's that. And that was the thing is this entire time is he, there wasn't a problem until he walked into the briefing and saw Rooster's name on the board. Right. Right, that's when the problem really started. His problem, I mean, even Ed Harris is in this for like a, two seconds. Like really just two a seconds. Yeah. yeah. I wonder who owed who a favor somewhere. I don't know. I, don't know I, what I love some Ed Harris. And yeah. We didn't get enough I was, Ed Harris. I was a little bummed he wasn't in there yeah. long enough. Uh, Ham did a nice job too. Ham can play a mean old guy, yeah. right? Like, I mean, he's, yeah. He went yeah. full madman a little bit here. He and did. just he Don pretty, Draper and just. He's really pretty solid. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, I mean. That opening sequence where he's flying to Mach 10 is just like, an, it's one of those crews exciting intros, right? Where it's like, let's do something crazy in the beginning right. and have some fun. But it ultimately doesn't really serve much purpose to the story other than proving that this guy's just, he's he's still with it 40 right. years later and is able to hit Mach 10.3 or right, something right, like right. that. And then fall out of the sky and then you have a nice little gag right, about it. Right, right. Spaceman and where where are you? Right, very yeah. right, yeah, very nice good. clever jack. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Talk about like really landing in in middle America. Like yeah. that was one of those moments <laughs> where you're like, boy, Tom, this is like you're saying I'm not in Hollywood. It literally, like this is what Hollywood doesn't look like. Yeah, uh, pretty funny, a little <laughs> bit. Um, uh, so I always have some reference to Doctor Who. So here's the thing uh, I want to say. Do. I, I do. So. Um, the third doctor, whose name was John Pertwee, was the actor who played him. John Pertwee was a guy who loved to do his own stunts, mm-hmm. and he loved mobile gadgets. Okay. And so his entire run is full of bizarre chases on like a hovercraft, and then a motorcycle, and oh then like so. The, instead of just running as they do in <laughs> Doctor Who today, it was this any, anything he could get on set he would drive around in for a while and chase someone. And in some ways, this film was full of Tom Cruise saying, look what I can ride. <laughs> he's on the super fast plane, and then he's on a boat. Like, suddenly he's, you know, sailing. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, he's on a motorcycle. Like, I, there's nothing wrong with that, right? But it's the just The only funny thing me, he residence. doesn't ride in is just a regular old car. R- right, although right? Jennifer Connelly gets the car gag at the end. You're right. Right, that that inversion was very nice. Yeah, she does get the the very nice car. 
very at the nice end. Card, yeah. Which I'm just like, was she just waiting out there for him to see her? Like, did she send Amelia in to be like, hey, go see if you can find right. Maverick? Right. Come around until he notices Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't say anything. Just make eyes at him and then, right. like, look my way. See what he does. Like, she's just standing out in the middle of an air. Like, he probably would have had to buzz her on sight and right, get right. her. Like, I don't know. <laughs> It's one of those 80s things where, like, you're waiting around by your car and you're no leaning security. all cool, yeah. like, back, and it's sunset, and it's in... That's uh, one of those things. Um, speaking of Jennifer Connelly, um, I had no idea who the heck this was. <laughs> I didn't know who this character was. I was like, they're just <laughs> referencing her as, like, somebody I should know about. I'm like, I just watched the first Top Gun on Monday. It's been four, four or five days. Right. I... I didn't know who this was. I had to ask Rick, or uh, you know, who came to see this with us, and he's he said that she was referenced in the original film as like the old flame that uh, uh, the admiral's daughter or something that he fooled around with or something or other. And now that rings a bell, but I didn't have a didn't have a name to go on. I don't think I didn't. I don't. At least I don't think I did, and definitely didn't have a face. Right. to go, I don't know who this was. You just start talking to her as if like I should know about her. So I was a little confused for a minute because I was like, this is definitely not the same woman that he... Cause, right. And it's they had Kelly no McGillis. chemistry in that first movie. I no. didn't think they had a lick of chemistry. Which may well be why you don't bring her back and you have what? Jennifer Connelly. Well, yeah. And uh, and well, when you... I'm, this sound, I'm, I'm not even going to say it. It sounds so mean to say. Um, when she stands next to Tom Cruise... Tom Cruise is aged much better than yeah, Kelly yeah. McGillis. So Right. And Jennifer Connelly's aged pretty well. Very well. She looks she great. Looked very well. Um, so, of course, y- y- and these two definitely have better chemistry. Yeah. B- for sure. Um, I, I kind of wish they would have either made their story, like, more substantial or not at all. Do you know okay. what I mean? Yeah, I can understand that. Like, I I wish there was another scene to where there would have been, uh, to to where uh, Maverick's choice would have been even more difficult because it's now not choosing between do I stop being part of the Navy or do I risk my career and try and get my team back? I wish they would have added one more to where it was now or do I risk dying and leaving the person I love? Yeah. Like I wish there were, which you kind of got, but it didn't feel like there was any sort of, like he wasn't even thinking about her. He just went to tell her that he was leaving and doing this. Yeah. Right. They populated the film sufficiently with her presence, but you're right. We sort of may have been missing the scene that, that drove that home. She is standing in for the relationship we remember from the first film. Right. So like we understand that, I mean, that's sort of dramatically where that's happening. But yeah, and, and you know, she, she... I mean, I really appreciated, though, that they didn't do the sex scene, right? Well, you I, mean, I mean, they they didn't show... Right, definitely not. I mean. as, not a, again, this movie is not as horny as the, yeah. as the original like, Top Gun. The original Top Gun, they'd have there's, been rolling around for six or There seven was. Minutes. I saw their tongues go in each other's yeah. mouth uh, <laughs> against a blue background. There were so, tongue silhouettes was my review on um, Letterboxd, in case you were wondering. Yeah, I, yeah. So, uh, so, yeah. So anyway, that's that to me was a, a nice choice, actually, to keep driving the film on its real story. Right, and then they talked after and they sex. Talked, and we got some... Which right. is good. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't fall asleep and... We got the gag, Leave, whatever. Yeah. But the 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 um, you, I think you may be right that there needs to be some. There was one more, just one scene I think missing. And, and potentially where it's they talked the, it about could be on the cutting room floor for all we know. Yeah, potentially where they talked about. Yeah, my dad was pissed at you. Or yeah, something. yeah, you're right. You're right. Give us context like. about who the heck this person is. Uh, but there is, you know, after he come after he jumps out of the window, and it's a beat that you're expecting, right? I expect mm-hmm. him to look up towards camera and see her like taking out the trash or something. Right, right. Instead, he pops up and sees her in the kitchen window, and what she says, she says like, "Don't break her heart again" or yeah, something like that. Right. Which I'm like, okay, that's I needed. That was a beat that was needed because now we understand that this is a relationship that has yeah has been full of in in a lot of ways this feels so i'm going to make another a weird reference this feels like uh my problem with um doctor strange and that there's like a missing movie right, right. there's this movie uh with Mordo that we didn't get 
right? right? And in here, the movie with Penny right. is this movie we didn't get in between here. There almost needed to be like a 15-minute standalone. Right, like, like YouTube video right. of them like, like having a, a big... short. Right, like yeah. they're in love and then he leaves her alone or something. Yeah. You know, needed something so, like we that. needed something. There was, there was supposed to be something somewhere. And you're right, it may be on the cutting room floor because this is a, a smartly edited film mm-hmm. that's very lean and... I can imagine that they easily could have made this another 15, 20 right. minutes and it probably would have felt just a tad too like it yep. probably would have felt five minutes too long. This film felt right on yeah. right on Agreed. point to what it needed to be. Um I don't know what you could have trimmed, what you could have cut. I don't I don't know. I don't know what you what you could have what you could have put in there to make that that relationship feel a little more impactful. And I may be wrong. Like I may maybe it was in there and they were just like, Yeah, we actually don't need this. Like it may have not added anything, for all I know, right? I don't. I haven't seen the well, like what that other cut looks like. We could say we so. we miss it, right? Because we think we missed it, but it didn't damage the film. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. 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 So, no. And that's yeah, yeah. that's about making a lean edit, like a really strong right, cut. Right. It, yeah. It was very well edited. Um, um, how about Val Kilmer? Let's talk about Val Kilmer's appearance. I had to wonder if he's actually sick in real life when I first saw him, but I know also Val Kilmer is a little bit um, eccentric. Right. And so. Um, <laughs> Like, did he make a demand to Tom Cruise that he only wants to say this many lines and he wants to point to a computer for the rest of his... He's like, I want to act with a scarf and I want to use a computer. Mm-hmm. Those are my demands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, Otherwise, I, I thought he was great. I, he did some extremely good nonverbal acting yeah. in that sequence. It, you look at a computer screen, you look at his face, you're like, oh, I sort I, of see, I know what you mean. I know what you mean here. Um, that was a ni- it, I thought that scene was a nice scene, again, not just nostalgic. It was mm-hmm. doing other work, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I appreciate that that wasn't lost. And Kilmer did a good job, and so did Cruz. Yeah, I mean, you, there's some there's some tears in his there's, eyes here. There's some strong Cruz beats in this yeah. film, um, and it's because he doesn't. It's because his film is, as much as it's about people who are extraordinary at what they're doing, it is very much at a human level. Right, mm-hmm. this film is about real people, and I, I found. It's funny because mm-hmm. we, we watch a lot of superhero f- kind of film. We watch a lot of science fiction, whatever it may be. It was very interesting to see a film that was about real people. Mm-hmm. It felt very anchored and uh, and rich, and I and I actually really enjoyed that portion. Oh yeah, like real like real people who exist in our world today. Right. Not I mean obviously they're fictitious, right? But like those are real those are real roles real jobs real mm-hmm. people's real people flying planes like and there are people who do that kind of this super tech exists, risky work right yeah, yep. right and it almost feels supernatural in a sense right like the fact that they can withstand all those g's and do right. all of those things in a plane going that fast is is mind blowing to me that that that's actually yeah. a possible thing um but yeah i i thought Val Kilmer was great i mean i'm glad they were able to kind of close out you know, mm-hmm. that story, that relationship together, that they stayed, I mean, that first film, right? There's so much that this film does to mirror the it other does, film, right. right? Like, even with, um, you have Hangman and Rooster's relationship at the end, which completely mirrors uh, Iceman and right. Maverick's relationship mm-hmm. uh, towards the end. And you can, I mean, if we're going to uh, imply that that relationship lives on, well, then Hangman and Rooster will be tight for the next, you right. know, forty years mm-hmm. of their career, and they'll help each other out as they go forward. Like there's, this is like a brotherhood thing. This this bond that that you make in Top Gun is this thing that carries you for life, um, and so cool to see that with, with Ice Ice and uh, and Maverick. The other thing that they did that that very much mirrored, um, the original film was kicking or or uh it was it was the whole bar scene where the uh cadets uh they don't hit on maverick in this but maverick hits on the the teacher right, right. uh mcgillis's um role in, in top gun uh only to find out the next day that she's the instructor right and then the same thing happens here right mm-hmm. where where they're at the bar and they have to kick him out and uh these the instructor the next day so there's there's a lot of things like that throughout the film that they're that they're mirroring which i love that they did but uh, but they still feel fresh but they still feel fresh yeah new actors are doing right their own work instead of trying to so the character the beats are similar Mm -hmm. we're the same but the characters within those beats right are are well this is where i said like this story structure is just like Mm -hmm. i it's like identical it's like hey how can we make the same film feel completely fresh (laughs) right right um because it felt so familiar 
but so new at the same time. Like, I don't know. I still don't know what's going to happen, even though, like, so far right. this film has been very much identical to the first Top Gun. But I'm so in, I'm on the end of my seat. I want to know, you know, what the heck's going to happen. And there's things like that they do where you th- you you don't know who's safe and who's not at any no, point. Right. Like that plane goes down in the training incident. You think you're safe for a minute, uh, you know, after the blackout, right? After the G-force blackout, and then all of a sudden birds hit your engine. You're like, right. what the heck? Like this seems like something that definitely shouldn't have happened. Something completely out of the blue, and that ends up being the. You weren't even worried about birds hitting the engine, right. even though they did tease the birds flying away at the beginning of that right. sequence, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but you just, I just thought, you know, I didn't think anything of it. So they, they, they really made it feel like at anybody's at risk at any point. Yeah, and you know, the, yeah. the, the end of the film, we get the successful mission, right? Mm-hmm. And then we have this series of additional high-stakes beats that take place. And at that point, we're so on the ride, right? And we we sort of know, in in a way, the moment that Rooster is in the same plane as Maverick, and it's the what the F fourteen, yeah. There's they can't die. Do you no, know what I mean? right, right, right. Like yeah. the Rooster can't go at that point, right? Right. He, he could go tragically before that, um, and suddenly, but that removing those stakes, right doesn't remove the enjoyment at that point right Right. so you still believe there's threat you're still not sure what's going to happen maverick could go whatever well because because and and because of the first film and how much the uh that that burden of guilt is still on maverick you're you're still expecting them to to be able to pop this canopy and there's even ejecting means you're not safe right right and so they could eject. They could still get shot down. They could eject, and we could see. We know it's not going to happen, but we could see a, a, the same thing happen as we did with Goose. And so there's. It's just smart because like you you never truly feel like your your characters are safe, and you you know you're waiting for you're waiting for Hangman to come in and shoot mm-hmm. that plane down. You know it's going to happen, right? But they they let it they let it. It's a slow burn. Like my gosh, I thought it was going to come in two or three times before it actually did. And, and he like just a really nice performance by him too. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. re, he because these characters in some ways are caricatures, right? Like they're fitting yeah. a role. Yeah, and. It takes some work for these young actors to be able to inhabit them sufficiently right. that we care about who they are and we we respect their presence in the ensemble. Like that's really hard work to do. Uh, yeah, and, and it I think it's effectively done. Well, and and great too because he um, he had a character arc right. for as no, little for screen sure. time as he had, and for as few lines as he said, he had a character arc. Yeah, which absolutely. Is great. This is a this is an action film that is driven by characters. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and characters. Not by plot, by character. Right. And the plot, because the plot is the old plot, right? So the actors and the characters can do these interesting right. things. And, you know, it is a film that is uh, triumphant, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it is a triumphant it's movie. It's a feel-good movie, I right. think. Right, in the you end. feel good. Um, but that doesn't preclude us from real tension. And the other thing that Cruz does really well, and, and this is a, a something that we see a lot of flashing lights driving past us. Um, this is something that we see in um, the Mission Impossible films as well. Yeah, the physical stress that he demonstrates when he's in uh, the plane. What all of those add weight to us as an audience member. Yeah. And I appreciate that, you know, there's a lot of people, a lot of stunt people don't like he does his own stunts, right? Really? Um, yeah, because they it's about financial risk and it's about whose job is what like Mm. there's some anxiety about that in hollywood oh i'm sure but but, um one thing it that we we talk about like there's no weight in some special effects Mm -hmm. well sometimes in movies like this where they where they're not really flying the weight isn't there but you feel the pressure on cruz's body um and whether it's because he's older or the pressure is real or whatever is happening that really does work to give us the feel we need to for the film. No, no doubt. I mean, when he is shifting in his seat flying that plane, I'm saying this really feels, this really feels like he's flying this plane. I can't, I, if he's not, I'm fully convinced that he is. Even if he's on like the, the volume, right? Like right. the uh, at Disney's, you know, soundstage that they shoot the Mandalorian on. Like mm-hmm. 
if that's where he is, I'm convinced he's flying in the sky right now. And whether that's a good performance or he's actually doing it, but it's that yeah, sense it's of weight, that sense of pressure, yeah, and it's something we it's hard for us to understand. I don't know what it feels like to be going. No, I don't, yeah. Whatever, 10 Gs. Like, that's it's insane. The most Gs I've ever right. gone is in mission space at Epcot. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it's actual Gs or not, but right. it feels like your body's being crushed a little bit. Can't imagine going, like, like actual Gs. Yeah. It sounds terrible. And, but but, when, but we certainly get the vibe, the feel for that. Yeah. Um, how, how'd you th- what'd you think about sound? I know you talked a little bit about sound. Oh, I mean, without sound, you'd be missing out on that weight. I don't think, I mean, I think his performance added a lot to it, sure, but I think the sound, every time the plane shifted, every time, like, an engine kicked, like, any time the plane did anything, there was this bass, there's, mm-hmm. like, you know, sound that hit. And I think without that, I, I mean, that adds the crunch, the punch, the, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, the sound uh, the sound was amazing. Uh, I, I almost wish we saw it in IMAX just for the sound. I actually don't know how much better the sound is in IMAX versus... A regular th- a standard I don't theater, know. but uh, it but sounded great where great. we were. It did, and the you're right that the sound had impact throughout the movie, and the other the soundtrack. I thought, although it certainly did reach back to the '80s, it really did. It, it, it not as often as I thought it was going to, but but it was present. Yeah, um, they didn't play. Well, they didn't play "Danger Zone" a hundred times, and they right. didn't play "Take My Breath Away" a right. hundred times either. Do, doing that in that first film. I think was the biggest mistake of that film Mm -hmm. because it just feels cheap and it feels like we don't know what to do with music so we're just going to play this song. Let's play the song again. Write the song. Play it again. Here, it's going to tell you what to feel (laughs) real clearly. Right. This film doesn't do that. No. Uh, You know, there are certainly times where, like, I think they use the music only for nostalgia purposes. Mm -hmm. Um, But other than that, like, I mean, the music is in a... I mean, it feels fresh to me still. It doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like necessarily something I've heard before, but at the same time, it feels like Top Gun. Right. No, I think that's right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, thoughtfully chosen period yeah. songs, right? Yeah. Um, and then yeah. we get a Lady Gaga song at the end. Oh, was that Lady yeah, Gaga? Yeah. She, I saw her name pop up at the beginning. I was yeah, like, she was Where listening to music, and it? I'm like, she's not writing the score, right? Right. And then she had a song at the end. Okay. Of it, so, um, huh. yeah. And the cast actually did sing Great Balls of Fire. So, Oh, did they? Uh, yeah, they were listed the as, cast? As, as cast under the yeah. performance. Yeah, bottom. Rooster sat down at the piano. I was like, oh, he's going to play Great Balls of Fire. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah. I'm like, man, he, he, really is his, he really is his dad. And it worked. It, it really it, played. It re- yeah. I mean, and, and you know, that's the moment where we do get, like, a legit throwback to the first film. But it played really yeah. well. Yeah. Oh, I did forget about those, like, brief, really b- brief flashbacks, mm-hmm. right, where, where Maverick is outside of the bar. Looking in, right, and he remembers, and yeah. you see them singing and, together. And so that said, I think because of those flashbacks, you could go see Top Gun Maverick, having not seen the first movie, mm-hmm. and you'd be fine. Right. I think seeing the first movie is still a better choice. I agree completely because you're going to understand the references made to that. Like you wouldn't, you would not pick up on the, the on the intro credits. You wouldn't pick up on the mirrored stuff that happens between mm-hmm. like the instructor now be, you know, getting kicked out of the bar and now being the instructor, right? Um, you wouldn't pick up on a lot of these little things. So definitely seeing the first film is still beneficial, but I think this is a film that you could totally go into, like if somebody didn't want to watch the first one, then, I mean, you could also just tell them what happens a little bit and then it's been 40 years. Like, yeah. it, it, it's, I mean, I knew Goose died before I saw this film, <laughs> uh, but but that didn't, that didn't interrupt my enjoyment of that first movie because no, right. I, I just was like, When's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? How's well, it happen? It's like, brutal. Where, how's this go? Right. It happens brutally on the screen, right? Like, it, yeah. it isn't a toss away moment. Well, and at first I was like, how did, how the heck did he die? And then I realized his head was crushed by the canopy not ejecting. The, the you know, right. the, the ejection is horrific. Terrible. Um, but so, yeah, still shocking, even though I knew it was coming. So, yeah, anyway, this film, it, it, it hit all the, it hit all the boxes, checked all the boxes mm-hmm. for me. It was great. And it is a definitive uh, in the theater film. And Cruz says at the beginning, "Thanks for coming out to the theater." Yeah. And I think part of that's because you know he's pro theater, which we are as well. But the other part of it too, I think, is just this is a film that needs to be seen in a space where yeah. these planes can be huge on the screen, and yeah, you know, uh, we can see that 
big giant star turn close up that happens here or there. Like all of that really does play. It's so great. And Cruz looks good. I, the last Mission Impossible, he looked a little bit puffy and beat up, and he looks pretty good in this. Movie. No, he wasn't. He wasn't punched at all in this film. I guess that's true. Yeah, I mean, when you're taking a beating uh, against Henry Cavill, right? I mean, you're gonna be a little puffed up right, right, and right. Uh, and bruised, I think. Good point. But yeah, uh, yeah. No, he looked good, man. Like I can't believe the dude is like in his fifties and doing all this stuff. I mean, yeah. I could barely get off my couch. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. Anyway, yeah, go see us in theaters. I mean, this is again, this is another reason to have a movie theater installed in your house. Like mm-hmm. this is, this is the reason you go to the theater. I mean, I, well, I think this film it. would be yeah. great to see with a lot of people in a theater. Too. Uh, yeah, and again, partially, I'm just bummed that there wasn't more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would have, I would have loved for this to be like packed, a packed theater. But mm-hmm. that's the thing. I don't know. Hopefully, I mean, movies like this need to come out. And people need to remember how much fun it is going to the theater when it's not a Marvel movie. Right. Like, I think Marvel's great. Like, Marvel actually may be the saving grace of movie theaters staying Mm -hmm. open. Like, that may be the only reason theaters get to have movies like this because Marvel makes enough money that Mm -hmm. the theater gets to stay open. Right. So, like, but then the the other side of the coin is that people only come out to Marvel films. They don't come out to support films like this that deserve to be granted it's thursday it's preview night technically so we'll see what this weekend holds but um it's a big movie it's it right now the the it is anticipating that he they could hit 100 million opening box office weekend here that'd be great um which would be cruz's first 100 million dollar opening really from what i read i could be wrong on that somebody i know kind of amazing to me that mission impossible didn't hit that yeah yeah but top gun top gun is a it that that reaches back, right? Like mm-hmm. this is a this is a multi generational um, film here, right? Like this is this is, this is three generations of, of people potentially right. that that it's reaching I guess that's for. That's true, yeah. Right. So, who knows? But uh, yeah, go see it. That's it. That's all I have to say. Anything else you no, want? No, that's to add? all I got to say. All that's right, it. Great, cool. Yeah. I'm excited to see this again at some point. But uh, cool. Well, thank you guys for listening to the Racking Focus podcast. Uh, if you guys would like to support us you can leave us a review you can follow us on instagram you can dm us and let us know what you think of right. the show i don't know we're just talking to like right now i think like 20 people yeah, maybe right. and i would love all of you 20 people so thank you for being here and listening <laughs> uh, we just do this for fun and and we don't even put ads in these things anymore because it's just us plugging anchor and i think that's pointless <laughs> as hell so <laughs> Enjoy the f- the free content. Right, right. So support us. Please share this with a friend. Um, write a review. Write a review. Let us know you're watching. Sc- lots of stars. Screenshot this and post on your Instagram. I don't know. Tag us at Racking Focus Podcast. I don't know what else to say. That's all. That's all we got to Great. Do. Well, have a good one, guys. Thanks for listening to the Racking Focus Podcast.